that meme of the church that had three core values, worship, teaching, and friends? The only problem was that they just put up the first letter of each word on a very large sign over their front door. It spelled W-T-F. A mistake, albeit a funny one, but the idea of having a banner over something, a banner over a church, a banner over a life, a banner over a country, is a potent one. Like a flag, or a logo, or a mission, flying over you, reminding you of the why in what you're doing. In Exodus chapter 17, the people were ready to stone Moses because they were so thirsty in the desert. God gave them water, and then God gave them victory in a battle over the Amalekites. The victory came in a pretty unique way. The battle's success was sort of a fader attached to Moses' hand. When his hand was high up in the air, they would succeed in the battle, and when he let it down, they were getting crushed. So Aaron and another guy had him sit on a stone, and they held up his arms. When the Israelites won the battle, Moses built an altar, probably with some pretty blood-drained, sore hands. He called the altar Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. The idea of a banner in Hebrew is a flag, a sail, a token, or a signal, like a smoke signal of victory, or like the Chicago Cubs W flag, something you can look to in a moment you need to be reminded that you are on the winning team. Sometimes this word was used to describe a flag that would be a rallying point for an army, a congregation of warriors fighting for the Lord. I wonder what would happen if you needed a pick-me-up in your faith if you prayed and believed that the Lord was your banner, Jehovah Nisi. I wonder what would happen if when you were down and out, or when you failed in sin again, the thing you promised you wouldn't do, or when you just felt like quitting, throwing in the towel, that you prayed and believed that the Lord was your banner. Jehovah Nisi. Through God's names, we learn more about God. My hope, though, is that it won't stop there, that you wouldn't just know more about God, but that you would truly know God. The demand on the anointing in their life. Wow. So, so if you see someone using their gift and they're start, starting out in it, um, uh, it was funny, um, the other day, uh, Kenzie, our daughter, uh, sent me a graphic, and I looked at it. You know, when they send me stuff, um, I always say, send me two or three options because I want the privilege to choose, right? Because if you send me one and I don't like it, what do I say? That stinks. I don't like it. Right. That was funny. So um, they're like, I don't want to work for you. Um, and so she sent me this one, and I looked at it, and I was like, I don't, it was only one, so I didn't know what to say. Um, I said, is there any other options? <laughs> And she said, Mom, that was the very first graphic I ever made. And I was like, oh, good, it's horrible. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing. The reality of it is, is if there's a gift on somebody's life and you begin to pull on that gift and you begin, here's the thing, we never start off really that good. Amen? Amen. But, you, but here's the thing. Do you have to start off? Right? There's a lot of you in your 40s and 50s, you never even got on the bike. But, but you want to be judgmental of all the people that are fallen. Thanks, Seth. Seth, there's a lot of people that have gifts. There's a lot of people that have gifts and call. Here's the thing. Gifts and callings are placed there by who? By God. This isn't my message. This is a freebie. <laughs> gifts and callings are placed there by who? God. By God. So, so when you don't use them, who are you going to answer to? God. Not me. 
I might harass you a little, but I, you're not gonna, I, I'm not going to be standing there on judgment day. But you have a gift and calling that's been put in there by, by God. By who? By God. And who are you going to answer to for it? God. And so the reality of it is, is sometimes we see people in their gift and calling and they've been exercising that gift and calling for a couple years and they've been doing it and they've been, they, they've been practicing and you don't, haven't seen that they've been on their training wheels and they fell down and they've skinned their knees because you haven't been a part of that. All you see is them like, I'm going to see a victory, right? I don't have the gift to sing, okay? I didn't say that. But you can see that gift in manifestation and then you diminish yourself because your gift isn't at that level. Here's the thing. The gifts and callings never can leave you, but the way that they, that the way that they're, I don't want to use the word perform because that's the, that's not the right word, but the way that they're released, the way that they're released through your life is actually completely dependent upon how much you use them for the glory of God. You can stay in training wheels all you want. I'm, I'm serious. Listen, when we first started and I started teaching, listen, I'd teach to anybody that would listen. I still teach anybody listen. You got three people? Yep, I'm coming. I, I, I see, we taught JV for seven years, middle, fifth and sixth, smelliest kids around. They, if you have a JV, they need deodorant. We taught sometime, we started off with about seven of them. We ended up with about 120 packed in a room. And we would, listen, we prepared. We didn't just get there and show up and play games. No, we studied. And we taught messages. And we prepared. And then we taught youth. And then we taught, and listen, at Faith Family, there was a time where they would have this exhortation part um, of the service, kind of like what our host does or whatever. And, and, and you had to, like, give a little exhortation. And then you got some instruction on how well you did and if you, if you, you know, if you kept on time and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. You prepared for, I prepared to talk for two minutes. And those two minutes gave me 20. And now 20, y'all want to sit here for about an hour, don't you? I'm just teasing. I, I just want to encourage you. Nikki, thank you. Now, I'm sure you didn't volunteer. I'm pretty sure that Megan asked. Am I right about that? Yeah. But here's the thing. When somebody asks you to do something, what should your answer be? Everyone's like, don't ask me. Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. Now, here, here's the thing. If we ask and it's a gift and calling in you, then say yes and strengthen up that gift. Amen. 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 I love y'all. So good. So um, past, we've been in the Names of God series. I am Pastor Tiffany. If this is for the person that raised your hand, it's your first time. We are honored to have you. Uh, we are in the Names of God series, and this is week five. So we opened up with the introduction, and then Pastor Stephen started off with Elohim. Then we went from Elohim to Adonai, and then I had the privilege to teach Yahweh Jehovah, which was a, such a privilege. I have learned, I don't know about any of you, but I have learned so much in this series. So much that I did not, I'm going to be honest with you, did not know. Did not know. And, um, and so uh, I got to teach Jehovah, Je um, Yahweh Jehovah. Then how many of you loved Jehovah Rapha last week? Amen. Jehovah Rapha. And so Pastor Stephen, I got to listen to it one day on, a, on my walk, and it was so awesome. And I one of the things I loved was how he talked. So if you didn't get to listen to it, you'll want to go back because Jehovah Rapha is your healer. 
And Pastor Stephen gave a, an illustration about um, cinching the knots, about cinching the knots, and he talked about how the enemy wants to come um, and, and steal from us what, what, that he's our healer. But if you cinch the knots in your life and cinch the word in your life, then nothing can get through. Amen is a good word. Thank you, baby. But, and today, I'm going to spend some time talking um, or sharing with you on Jehovah Nisi. Say Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, your banner. And um, so I, I read to you um, some scriptures um, out of Exodus. We're pretty much going to stay in Exodus all day today. I have two other verses, one in Romans that I'm going to give you and, um, and also one in Thessalonians that I'm going to give you um, for that. I'm using Pastor Stephen's iPad. So um, thank you for sharing with me today. Now, if you will, if you'll turn to your Bibles, and if you'll go ahead and put up um, the verse that I already read in Exodus, I'm just going to walk you through this. We're going to kind of um, just see where this goes. In Exodus chapter 17, so if you'll turn there on your iPads, on your iPhones, on your other kind of phone, uh, whatever that is, um, and then, or your paper Bibles. Now, I want to start off by sharing with you just for a minute about the people of Israel. Now, they had been out of um, Egypt right here for about 45 days, just 45 days. Uh, They had traveled out of Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. Um, They were doing some traveling. Um, A couple chapters before this, um, they were complaining, remember, about hunger. They needed some food, and God brought them some what? Manna. If you want to know what manna tastes like, it's a little bit like honey wafers. So I'm figuring like the kind of like vanilla wafers. So they had vanilla wafers and, um, and they had quail that flew in. So they had quail and honey wafers because they were complaining about hunger. So God brought those things. And then they left that place really like Mount Sinai and they're traveling and they land in a place called Rephidim. Say Rephidim. How do you say it? Rephidim? Rephidim. Okay. Rephidim. Now what's interesting about Rephidim is the definition of Rephidim means rest. Say rest. Now, I'll be transparent with you. Um, I'm learning this as I'm teaching this. I, I talked to Pastor Stephen about this for a while yesterday. Now, what's interesting about this place of rest, and I wrote something down, what's interesting about this place of rest is they had been there about seven days, and they began to get thirsty, and they were complaining to God. Now, you know what's interesting is that this place of rest that they had landed was not their promised land. Say, not their promised land. And I got to thinking about about these Israelites. You know what's interesting about people that turned their place of rest into their promised land? They're complainers. They're complainers. See, they kept trying, they kept trying to get comfortable on that earth. They kept trying to get comfortable short of their God-given destination. And because they kept trying to get comfortable short of their God-given destination, all they could do was complain, complain, complain. Anybody know any complainers? If the person's next to you, don't raise your hand. Just do me a little wink. I don't know how to wink, but wink. Uh, Now, those of you that know strength finders, my number one strength, or it's in my top five. I can't remember if it was my number one or not. My number, oh, my number three. My number three strength is positivity. I'll tell you what I don't like, complaining. 
I do not like it. If you can't find something happy to say, then don't say anything. And what is so interesting to me is the Israelites kept stopping short of their promised land in a place of Rephidim called rest. And all they were focused on is, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're hungry, we're thirsty. And, you know, I'm a little concerned that people are more concerned about their meal at Blue Moon than they are eternity. I don't like that. Who cares? I honestly, don't go out to eat with me if you complain like that. I need my water glass filled. If you shake, I'm like, oh my God. I see believers, believers complain and act rude to non-believers because their service wasn't good or their food wasn't good as if eternity didn't matter. And it was just like these Israelites complaining on every, listen, the promised land was flowing with something, but they were too short-sighted to even see where God was taking them. And you know, what's interesting is when you're busy complaining about this world, you forget that there's a real adversary seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary is not your meal or the traffic or your kid's teacher. I'm going to shake it up. The adversary is the enemy seeking whom he may what? And while they were busy complaining about what they were eating and drinking, there were some dudes crouching down, spying them out. Now, these boys were descendants, grandsons of Esau, The Amalekites. Now let me tell you a little bit about the Amalekites. They killed people for fun. They would spy out the land and say, whose goods can we take? And while we're taking their goods, let's go ahead and kill them. And they're worried about their next Diet Coke. And the enemy is spying out their complaining, complacent attitude. And the Amalekites attacked them. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the Israelites. They were no warriors. They had been slaves for hundreds of years. They didn't know how to do battle. This would be like the bad news bears meeting the Terminator. They hadn't fought. All those people knew was how to be beat. They had gotten beaten and beaten and beaten. And then here comes the Amalekites, some of the strongest, war- says the strongest warriors there were. And here's the thing. And then Moses, Joshua shows up on the scene. And then Moses says this to Joshua. He said, he said hey, pick you some warriors. And I'm, I'm thinking, Joshua's thinking, what are you talking about? From, you, got, you got some in your back pocket? Like, show me where they're at. And, and Moses says to Joshua, pick you some warriors and get ready to go out and fight the Amalekites. Now, 
You know what kind of character Joshua has because you see it in the verses and all through the Old Testament. You begin to see it play, him, play itself out. But I love, and then I love these next couple verses because Joshua says to, Mo, or Moses says to Joshua, go and pick you out some warriors and fight battle. And then he says this, and then tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to go on the hill. Now you go fight, but guess where I'll be? I'm your fearless leader. I'm going to go up to the hill. And, and you know, I, I got to thinking, uh, one time, Stephen and I went through a, 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 a difficult season with our daughter, Mackenzie. Uh, she was away, and uh, she was walking down a path that just wasn't what God had for her. And uh, I was rung up. Any mamas ever get rung up? Raise your hands and then smack them and act like they're, I mean, it's true. We get rung up. I was rung, say rung up. I was rung up. And, uh, and, uh, and I, we had a, le- a leather love seat at the time. We didn't live in the house we live in now, but I would just picture myself. And, um, and we, I was sitting on the love seat, and I, was, I, had, I had my Bible out like I was spiritual, but I was very unspiritual at the moment. My Bible, my Bible was there, but it wasn't activated and working in my life at that moment. And Pastor Stephen had walked down some steps, and I was sitting there with my Bible, and I was like, what are we going to do? We got, we, got to do, we got to make some calls. We got to do something. We got to do something. Anybody, any moms ever feel like you got to do something? And Pastor Stephen walks down. And I have, t- I'm, I'm a, mad, tears just, <laughs> just streaming down my face. And I said, uh, what, what are we going to do? And he said, he said, well, I heard from the Lord. I said, okay, good. <gasps> What's the plan? <laughs> you know? He said, well, he said, well w- this is exactly what he said. He said, well, we're going to do what we're going to do or what we should do. God's going to do what only God can do, and this will all come to naught. And I was like, that's it? Like, that's all you got for me? Like, we're not getting in the car right now and freaking out? Like, come on. Like, I got, the, I got the car loaded. The gas tank's filled up. We got to go do some damage. <laughs> We're going to do what we should do. God's going to do what only he can do. And this will all come to naught. And I was like, you have got to be joking. <laughs> and he was like, that's it. And I was like, for the love <laughs> And every day, I am not joking you. Months, he'd come down. I'd be sitting there with this Bible on my lap, looking like I was spiritual. <laughs> he'd come down, and I'd say, say it again, say it again. And he'd say the same, he never changed his word. And what I love about Moses is not in just this moment did Moses hear from God. But listen to me. Moses started leaning in way back at the burning bush. 
He started saying yes to God right back at the burning bush. Right back when God said, hey, there's a staff beside you. I want you to pick it up. He started yielding to God right when he had to meet Pharaoh. He started yielding to God during all the plagues. He started yielding to God when he met the Red Sea. He started yielding to God when he needed water from a rock. He started yielding to God when a cloud showed up by night and fire cloud by day and fire he started yielding to God when he said man is going to show up in the morning and you're going to eat it he started yielding to God when quail kale, quail kale whatever it is people probably rather eat kale now he started yielding to God way back then and when this situation showed up and the Terminators. And honestly, listen, these people were killing people for bedtime stories. This was their pleasure. And he didn't have any warriors. He had beat up, broken back slaves. And God said, hey, I want you to go up to the mountain. I'm going to tell you, this talks about two different people that have high character, Moses and Joshua. Because if I was Joshua, I feel like I would have been saying, dude, I'll go to the hill. You go out on the field. And there was something in Joshua that knew to trust the anointing in Moses. And Joshua went and picked his men. And Moses went up on top of that mountain, and with him, he took two men. He took Aaron and her, and I'm going to start here. In verse 10, you know, uh, there's a one thing I want to share with you today, and uh, I've been contemplating how to get it out. Because I would say that 95% of the people, maybe even 98% of the people in this room, have given your heart to the Lord, and maybe he's your personal savior. If he's not, we would love the opportunity to pray with you. But if he's your personal savior, then you know that there is a victory that's already going to be had, and it's what? Heaven. There is a work the moment you are saved that secures a victory, and that victory is heaven. But I want to, I've been asking the Holy Spirit. I've been talking to him this week about this. Because here's the thing. I know that that eternal victory doesn't necessarily always, listen, check me out, doesn't always guarantee that you walk in victory here on this earth. See, listen, just because we say this, we say this verbiage, justification doesn't equal sanctification, right? You're justified by faith. That means you're saved. How many of you are holy the moment you're saved? Say no, you're not. But how many of you know that when we begin to yield ourselves to the voice of the Holy Spirit and we begin to let his word replace our thoughts and then be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and we begin to think like him and talk like him, that the justification turns into sanctification. And how many of you know that this first victory that was won through Jesus Christ and gave us eternity is the same way we get everyday victories? It's the same way. It's not something that we're trying to do. It's something that we're leaning into, that we're yielding because the victory's already been won. 
And I, I cannot find, I cannot find in the, t- in the word where battles were fought the exact same way. Even when you read in David and Moses and Aaron, when you read them, every single time they did something, they did it differently. And too many of us are saying, hey, how'd you get better? Hey, how'd you fix your finances? Hey, how'd you raise your kids? Hey, how'd you get peace? Hey, how'd you get joy? Listen, ain't nobody got your answer but him. When you go into battle, the very first thing you do, just like Moses did in the prior chapter, in the verses, few verses before, he said, he, you know what he said? He said, oh God, what do you want me to do with these people? He didn't go to them and say, what should I do? He, listen, you're going, sometimes we're going to the wrong people for the wrong answers. And there is a, the first thing you better learn about battles is that you better be intimate with the winner. You got to be led. And so Joshua picked, or Moses had two guys go up with him, Aaron and her. How many of you love some good buddies? You got, you got some good buddies. Yeah, faith buddies. Pastor Stephen taught about the man who had four friends that carried him to the rooftop last week. Listen, you need to, and I want to read this to you because there's something I want you to see here. And so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of the Amalekites. Meanwhile, how many of you know there's a meanwhile? Moses and Aaron and her climbed to the top of the nearby hill. As long as Moses, as long as Moses held the staff in his hand, like this, as long as, as Moses held the staff in his hand, uh, the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms became so what? So t- Listen, Pastor Stephen said something at the very beginning of service. He said, how many of you feel a little defeated lately? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand again, but there were quite a few of you that raised your hand. Do you want to know something? All of you that didn't raise your hand, you should have had your eyes open so that you could know who to be friends with. What I don't know if Moses picked Aaron and her or if Aaron and her said, hey, we're going with you. But listen, when he got up there and he had to hold, and the reason he held this up is because while they were fighting, they needed to remember, guess what? That's the same rod that split the sea. That's the same rod that brought us out of Israel. That's the same rod that gave us water. That's the same. Listen, as long as this rod was up, we know it got us out of trouble before and it's going to get us out of trouble again. And they, listen, but how many of you know you get tired sometimes? Anybody ever get tired, tired quoting the scripture? Anybody ever need somebody to say, can you just call me? Do you just say, listen, there are many times when if my body feels, feels weak or it feels physical, I'll say to him, I need you to speak over me. And I don't want no garbage. I'm so grateful he doesn't go, well. <laughs> you know, one of the things I love about Missy DeJarnet, this makes me want to, don't ask her how she feels, because she don't care. Am I right? I'm telling the truth. I'm not telling anything. A couple times she had to correct me, because, you know, she's walked through some things. And, and she's like, I don't really want people to ask me how I feel, because how I feel is irrelevant to the truth. You are. You are Wonder Woman. And what I love is that I know when I call to encourage her with the word, I don't check in with her physical body. I check in with her spirit. And that's what I feed because that's what will sustain her in the time of infirmity. 
your spirit. Listen, you need some spirit to spirit, friends. Well, I'm so sorry. That must be really hard. We all got hard. Now, I'm not, now here's the thing. I've learned to have some empathy, even though it's not in my top five strength finders. <laughs> but too much empathy will kill you. Yeah, feel sorry for you right on to the grave. Right on to broke. Right on to divorced. Right on. And some of you are finding friends that will coddle you and baby you and tell you what you want to hear instead of saying, come on, lean over. I'm going to give you a little word spanking. (laughs) And guess how we get to do that? In love. In love. We don't go, well, I can't believe how you're acting. No, Father God, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you're empowered to walk out everything in your life. I thank you, Father God, for my friend. I thank you, Father God, that when they're weak, that you make them strong. And I come alongside them and I strengthen them up with my words. I strengthen them up. My faith, I, we join, we're joint heirs. I thank you that we bind each other up. We hold each other up to faith. Amen. Amen. So Moses became tired. And I love it because Aaron and her placed him on a rock. You know what? That is your word. Placed him on the rock. And you know what those two dudes got? They got right beside him. And I love this part of it. It says this. And so Aaron and her, Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. And they stood on each side of Moses holding, holding, say holding. Look at your neighbor and say, hold me up. Look at the other one that you didn't pick and say, hold me up too. Holding up his hands, so his hands held what way? Say that word. They held what? St- How many of you ever got wobbly in your face? Like, whoa. They held him steady because they knew that it wasn't. Listen, you experiencing victory is never just about you. It's from generation to generation. And they knew that the victory of the Israelites were dependent upon their ability and their willingness to hold Moses' arm. And so here it goes. And then they, so they held his hand steady until, until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of, the Amalek, of, the, of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll, a permanent reminder. I love that. A, a permanent reminder, a permanent, rem- you know, uh, anybody have some keepsakes from their past? Uh, if you've ever read, if you've ever read um, Mark Batterson's book, now I cannot remember which one it is, where he talks about building an altar. Does anybody else remember? Okay. He talks about building an altar, and he talks about having keepsakes. And he says, he says, place them in places so that you'll remember what God has done for you. And, you know, I was talking with Megan and Nanny, and actually Christine was there, and we were talking about um, just this, this part of the verse. And I, I began to think about, about, about when he built an altar, what was what Circle maker. Thank you. Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker. High five. And, and, and here's the thing. 
in those in the Old Testament, they built altars and they built altars every single time that you see them build an altar. They said, so that when you pass by this, here's the interesting thing, so that when you pass by this altar, your children will ask, say your children, your children will ask what happened here. Your children will ask what, listen, the altar wasn't necessarily just for them. The altar would say, hey, daddy, mommy, what happened right here? Oh, God. And, 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 uh, one of the things that Nanny said, we thought it was kind of funny. We said, do you have something that means something to you? Now, Nanny, she, she said, well, I have, um, the homecoming crown. And I said, okay. (laughs) And here's what she said. She said, well, I wasn't popular. She said, I really, she said, I was a believer and I didn't think anyone even liked me. And she said, and when I became homecoming queen, she said, the school told me that it was unanimous. And she said, when I, (laughs) she said, when I put that crown on, I realized that it wasn't a victory of beauty. It was a victory of standard. A victory of, and so girl, I hope she, maybe she'll wear it next week. She'd be like, hey. One of the things Megan said, this. Megan said she has her very first Bible journal. You were like, how old? It was five minutes ago. Don't worry. (laughs) Now, here's something that many of you might not know. Megan didn't grow up in in a, wasn't raised in a Christian home. And one of the words that the Lord gave to me a while back ago about her, because she said, you know, I know that the congregation sometimes desires old songs. And she says, but I don't know them. And she said, so I'm going to try to learn some. Can anybody give me some? Because this week I said, you know that song, um, your banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. Well, don't worry, Megan, ain't nobody else grew up in church either. <laughs> You're safe, girl. You're safe. <laughs> Only me and Miss Patty. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me one morning on a walk and said, I don't need an old song. I put a new song in her. I don't need you to conjure up the old. Because he said, I'm putting a new on that mouth. So you put a demand on that. Anymore. Listen, when she's singing and she's exhorting, listen, you don't go, I'm going to have a drink. Of my- this sounds like a good time to have a drink of my coffee. Put that coffee down. And you lift your hands and put a demand on the gift and the calling of God. And I thought about, you know, one thing that Christina, she's only been married for five minutes. But one of the things that she said was she said, even my wedding rings are, she said, they're an altar. She said, they're an altar to, to, to what God has done in my life. I could have gone this way, but God, God rescued me and sent me this way. You better hold up to that. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. I thought about Pastor Stephen. Pastor Stephen, when he gave his heart to the Lord, immediately following, he applied for Rhema Bible Training Center. And they sent, denied. They denied him access to Bible school. And most people will be like, well, it must not be what God wants me to do. Listen, he went and got a bunch of references from people that were in ministry. 
And he said, will you write me a reference letter? And they begin to send them into the school. And they said, okay, Stephen Westcott, we'll take you, but you're going to be on probation for an entire year. You so much as blink the wrong way and you're out. In that year, he memorized the entire book of Romans. And all, when I look at his diploma, sometimes I'm like, there's an altar. There's, when I walk by it, I think, you know what? Could have been that way. Coulda, we could have lost the battle. But when I look at that, I think there's an altar to the things that God has done in our life. And he built an altar, and he said, God is my banner. You know what I love about that is that we no longer have to look at this because we get this. And every time you're wondering, and you're looking at your circumstances, and you're tempted to give in and complain, I want you to remember that there was a price that was paid for you. There was blood that was, there were stripes that were taken on the back of Jesus. There was a crown of thorns placed on his head. And he didn't just do it just to do it. He did it for you. And when he laid on that cross and nobody took his life, he gave it up. And when he gave it up and he said these words, he said, it is finished. And every time the enemy comes to you and he knocks on your door and he says, I don't know if healing's working in your life. I don't know if you have peace in your life. I don't know if you have joy in your life. I don't know if you got a sound mind in your life. I don't know if you know how to make good decisions. I don't think you could have a good marriage. You don't know how to do this. You look at the cross and say, it is finished. And you remember that the banner over you is a victorious God who won the battle and who gives you the opportunity to not just win the eternal battle, but win battle after battle after battle after battle.